0: Patreon subscribers, welcome. Glad to have you back. It's another great episode of the Facts of Geek Life. Uh, this is the show uh, for our supporters where we talk about a classic television series. We take a season, or in this case, a miniseries, which was two episodes totaling uh, a little three-hour movie. And we kind of break it down, talk about it. I am joined by my uh, partner in crime, uh, Kay. Uh, who records with us on almost all of our shows. So, Kay, how are you doing this afternoon?
1: I am doing very well, thank you.
0: Excellent, and we're coming right off, we're deadheading coming right off of recording uh, Code 47, uh, because we are all about giving you guys some great content here at Secret Friends Unite. So today we're talking about a uh, great three-hour miniseries, as I mentioned, uh, that it was the reimagining of the classic 1970s uh Science fiction epic Battlestar Galactica*. one of my personal favorites. This was uh, redone uh, in 2003, uh, the end of 2003 is when this came out, so it's not quite 20 years gone by, which just blew my mind when I was watching this. Um, that it is the, the way that production-wise, I, I really feel that it's held up, but we'll talk about it as we get into it. So um, the series uh, stars Edward James Olmos, who uh, you've seen in a whole lot of stuff before this came on, Mary McDowell. Uh, McDonald, who you've seen in a lot of stuff before and after, and written by Ron D. Moore, who was the guy in Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, for about five minutes on Star Trek Voyager before he quit, uh, because he hated it so much. But he's really, he's the guy, everything you kind of know about Klingons in the Star Trek The Next Generation era. Most of it came from this dude. He's the Klingon dude. And I think you see plenty of that in this series too. Uh it was directed by Michael Reimer. Uh and again, a first part of uh, a Battlestar Galactic remake based on the uh, series from 1978, which ran for one season, was too expensive and not popular and got canceled. Uh and was a backdoor pilot for what became a television series just a few months later. Um, Katie, your experience with okay, excuse me, your experience with this, um, Back in 2003, or, or when did you first see this?
1: Um, I first watched this um, on Netflix. So it was, okay. I don't think, I think it was right before Netflix started streaming. I don't know if we were streaming it yet or if we were still doing it on DVDs.
0: <laughs> which they actually um, still do, which is crazy to me. Right, they I think it costs extra on their now website. to do that. Right, um, exactly. Yeah, that's right. For a time yeah. they were doing both, which I'm like, oh, that, I don't know how they're going yeah. to make that work.
1: So, yeah. um yeah, I I did not watch it when it originally came out, but that isn't really surprising since you know I graduated high school in two thousand and three, and this would not have been something my family was not really into sci-fi stuff. So um, yeah, I would not have watched, it, especially with um, you know uh, Number Six walking around with the, like her little her little dress in my conservative family, <laughs> that would have dress. been like, excuse me, oh my goodness, the vapors, <laughs> so, <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. and my heart. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I watched this with my spouse the first time through, I think it was after we had watched some TNG and some of our other friends had said something about us watching it and we realized that we never had. So we sat down and completely binged the mini series. And then we're like, yes, we need more. We want more. And just ate up the whole thing.
0: (laughs) I know. Yeah. This, this really did come along at a time. And again, this is very episodic television as has been the case in the last 20 years with, with sci-fi and really a lot of other things that's extremely bingeable there is a uh, a great short from the the comedy series which was on IFC called portlandia are you familiar with portlandia mhm Yes, does it ring a bell? Where they they, they spoof this exactly? You had the two main cast members was uh, Fred Armisen and Carrie Brownstein. Yeah, they watch and it, couple, they realize
1: it's been like months. <laughs>
0: right. yeah, so we, we both lost our jobs, and they're gonna they're gonna turn the power off, or and then they try to recreate it by like and then there's there's cameos in this sketch by Edward James almost and Ron Moore and uh, uh, James Callis uh, who is Baltar, and uh, there's, oh my god, is that is that's awesome. And if I remember, I will drop. The reference to that probably in the show notes here because it was so good but um yeah it became an ultimately very bingeable series which ran from 2004 to 2009 interrupted by the the writer's strike in 2008 um w- by which point they ended up giving us a tv movie or something but anyway we're not here to talk about that. we're here to talk about the mini series so let's walk through it why don't you you know why don't we get started with your notes and i'll bounce and we'll just talk about it how does that sound
1: Yeah, um, I mean, it started out, it was uh, very hit and miss within like the first 10 minutes because you have this really interesting explanation going on as you're getting these really cool, you know, overviews of talking about the history of the Cylons versus the humans and what they were doing. And you have this one guy who comes in and he sets out a picture of his wife and a picture of his kid. And he's sitting there waiting for, you know, the Cylon emissary to come or ambassador come. And you're like, okay, cool. This is great. He falls asleep because, you know, obviously they're they don't come. And he doesn't have his phone.
0: Can't doesn't have his play phone. Candy Crush can't, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
1: can't can't do that. And then suddenly the door opens and you have two two of the Cylons, like kind of classic Cylons, walk in and you're like, Hee, hey, that looks silly. <laughs> <laughs> well they were
0: unfortunately you know, they, they, they were they were they were a decent update because the old silence yeah. were just monkey oh, suits and they were just dudes. Yeah. These things were like seven feet tall and they had big claws and still. Yeah, for yeah. the
1: time it looked it, it looks it looks good, but it also it's like I think they did a really good job of like making them seem threatening and kind of cheesy at the same time. Like it was a really fine line <laughs> right. to walk. And they, they right. did a really good job. And then number six walks in and he's like, Oh my goodness. And <laughs> yeah. Ooh, lurking,
0: he had the vapors.
1: <laughs> Just starts making out with him. <laughs> I was like, right. "What is going on?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that was. I'm like, you literally just set out a picture of like your wife and child, and you're like, "That's cool." I'm just gonna make out with this random person who walked in from the other side of the starship with two silents. and I'm like, "Right." Hmm, this is you're not sending not- your best and brightest to your Earth. Just yeah. saying,
0: <laughs> not all sus. not some yeah middle aged bureaucrat yeah. dude. So what? Yeah.
1: That aside, you know, intriguing, it definitely was, but luckily the entire story kind of takes off from there and you get just really amazing um, character building and really amazing just world building without them having to exposition dump on everything. And it's one of those things I loved just about the show in general is that they never sit there. And go, okay, we're going to have this huge long conversation to explain to you everything that's going on. And so we can hold your hand. It's like, no, they're, they infer this stuff about Galactica where it's, you know, you get that it's a museum, you get that it's part of the old Reich, you get that it's, you know, on its way out and this is, you know, a part of a bygone era. You get that there's these really complex re- relationships between all of these characters even though it's not explicitly explained why you just get to kind of figure that a along the way. And it really helps you feel like a viewer that you are really just standing on the ship, watching these things happen and that there is definitely stuff going on when you're not around.
0: Right. Got And a good piece of that to introduce is that the whole first, you know, segment uh, of, of, the first episode of the miniseries because when we watch, I have it on my voodoo and it's split into two segments, but I have the disc and it's all one long movie is that you have a film crew walking around with a Weasley PR guy saying, blah, blah, blah. It's this, this is one of the old ships. And back in the day there were 12 ships and each one was representative of the 12 colonies. Cause the, <clears throat> because the show's from the seventies, there are 12 colonies of man and each one of them is the astrological signs because you know, it's the seventies. And so the main one is Caprica, which is the, Help me out here. Which one is Caprica supposed to be? Is it the Cap- Capricorn? There you go. Yeah. That's the main one where all the all fancy people in the military of the seat of, you know, uh, wealth and intelligence. And that's where I found Baltar who ends up being the, I won't call him a tragic character, but the kind of a scumbag character way more than in the old show.
1: Raging is Narcissist. From-
0: Rage! Oh my God! He puts the he can't puts the capital N in a narcissist. Um, but yeah, this you know this guy Doral's walk around explaining. Yeah, this is you know this is an old ship and it's got a bunch of old tech and it's not he it doesn't really have computers. They're not network. Yada yada yada. And then you meet you know Adama who is a guy who I swear to God they like they could have cast my dad in this role. This guy is my dad to a T. Just like Lee in his relationship with his dad where they're really very estranged. That's always the thing this whole series through really gets me because fathers and Sons, just like mothers and daughters, I'm sure. Very complicated relationship, you know. <laughs> if you're if you're an adult man and you get along with your dad, that's a great thing. But there's definitely a chance that when you were a kid, you were just loggerheads. And there was a lot of controversy around this. You know, Lee, who is his son, who comes in, they just totally don't get along. It has to do with the accidental death of his younger brother a couple of years prior. And then you meet Starbuck, Katie Sackoff in one of her like very first roles, who you just wouldn't recognize. For the love of anything, you know, Katie Sackhoff, who's gone on, of course, to be in absolutely everything. She's very big in Star Wars as, as Bo-Karen or Bo-Katan <laughs> in The Mandalorian. <laughs> um, but my God, even just as, as sci-fi, just getting in the first piece of this, you know, you meet Saltai, who's his drunk-ass CO. He's a broken-down old guy. Um, that great early-on scene where they're playing cards, and it's Starbuck and a couple of other characters we get introduced to. Hilo, who's... Uh, the, one of the pilots at Dumb Jock. Sharon, who's one of the other pilots, uh, who is just kind of, she seems like she's kind of, you know, maybe, you know, she seems kind of dumb, but maybe she's not really as dumb as she gives it to. She's having an affair with the Chief, who's kind of the Chief O'Brien Scotty character of the show, um, who runs the, uh, the flight deck. He's an enlisted guy. And so you're getting a nice bang, bang, bang introduction to all these officers. But yeah, you're right. It's not so bogged down and um, oh God, so much more of this to come. You just get what you need. And again, if we're still in the first, you know, 30 minutes of, of everybody mm-hmm. getting introduced, we haven't even been introduced to anybody really off of the ship yet because we haven't gone back to to Caprica and met, you know, Mr. Raging Narcissist. So tell me all about <laughs> Baltar. I can already tell that you really <laughs> like him.
1: Oh my word. This is a character that I love to hate. He, oh I and mean, yes. it's honestly, it's again, it's one of those great things because even Ty, um, He's just the EXO. He's just like Starbuck at the end of this, you know, part of the second miniseries says, you're a coward and you're a drunk. Oh and like, that's goodness. why she hates him. And you he's like, is that, a, is that all? Do you have anything else? <laughs> like, no, I think that's it. And I it just it was such good. a nail on the head of like, yes, he yeah. is so busy, like, making sure that he keeps up this, like, macho facade that He's just an absolutely terrible person because it's all self serving stuff, and you you know you know, but you love him anyways. Like you just love to hate him. And um, guys is the exact same kind of character where he's this weaselly. Like <laughs> I just kept thinking of. Um, Oh, Elon Musk the entire time watching.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But somehow, but somehow with charm, somehow. Yeah,
1: somehow just mildly charming, I would say. Definitely more charming than Elon Musk. But he, you know, has created this defense system and then let his girlfriend slash, you know, side piece get full access to it because he's just got so much hubris. He genuinely doesn't believe that anything can go wrong.
0: Right. And, and the side piece is the same blonde chick that was making out with the old guy in the space right? station She's that she out. then and, blew know, up.
1: She's everywhere. Yeah, and you just got a lot of that, you know, early aughts, like, carnal making out scenes where everybody's oh, trying to, like, eat each other's faces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's,
0: like, it's like two dogs with a, with a T-bone.
1: <laughs> it really is. It really, really is. But um, so and you get to find this panic that he has as he's realizing what he did and the entire time. Like you see these wheels turning where it like breaks him. And again, the guy who plays guys just says like such a great job because right. you, he's always got this continual look of panic and you can see the wheels just constantly turning as he's trying to figure out how it's not his fault and how and he how can get out of it for what happened. Yeah, yeah. And how he can get out of it. Right. And yeah, he's just cause g- which is
0: which is what narcissists do. I mean, you and I both yeah. have a lot of experience with narcissists as we've, as you and I have become friends and had conversations like, mm-hmm. you know, friends, family members, just people that you just want to get the hell away from because they're always trying to tell you. They're always trying to gaslight your ass and say, well, this is really not me. This is totally you.
1: <sighs> yeah. yeah. Well, thanks. and it's the great thing about like they just are very unapologetic about the characters where they're like, you know, we're going to just make him just an asshole of a dude and just fully embrace this kind of character. Just like, you know, Adama where you're watching him and you're like, Oh, he's a really great admiral. Like he's, you know, that tough kind of, you know, tough, but fair. And, you know, something that could really be admired. He's got the admiration of his crew. He's got the admiration of his team. And then you have that first conversation with Lee where Lee just Mm. lays into him. And it's right. so great because you see the downside of that as he's like, you know, I never forced you boys to do anything. I didn't force you. And Lee just sits back. You're not a man unless you're a Viper pilot.
0: Right. He's you're like, not even it's basically, yeah. Yeah. Every dad and son yeah. has had that conversation. And it's you know, so like, great. No, I didn't make it's, you do that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. It's him saying, you know, I'm not going to take accountability for my action. And Lee just saying, you literally said we were not valuable. Our value as a person was less if we were not able to accomplish this. So of right. course that's what we did.
0: Yeah, and exactly.
1: the, everybody's so fallible in this show. And I think that that's like, they just, they immediately just hit the ground running with all of that. And you, right, it really yeah. sets it up in the first set.
0: Such, I mean, such a sharp script. And I mean, just, yeah. Oh my mm-hmm. God. Yeah. Because we're so used to, <clears throat> star trek characters um because again the the parallel and of course with having ron moore being the guy who's helming this draws it right back you've got larger than life heroes: spock kirk picard riker data wharf you know captain cisco this and that all those people that you're just like well these guys don't really have any flaws their flaws are so Mm -hmm. their flaws of the week and then they get over it where everybody on the show is screwed up and it's not like they rescued the best of humanity. This is like what's, what managed to get away from the bombs dropping on Caprica and the other 12 colonies, which is obviously where everything goes with, with, you Mm -hmm. know, with Caprica six and with, with Baltar is that she, you know, used her access to get into the defense system and made all the defenses deactivate. And then the silent base just came in and just bombed the shit out of all of these colonies and, and killed tens of, Billions of trillions of people to the point that the only ships that were able to escape, there's only 50,000 people left, including the Galactica is the only military vessel. So the only hope for anybody surviving. Um, And then, you know, we meet Laura Roslin. Uh, We first Mm -hmm. made her. I had a note here. When she's sitting in the doctor's office on Caprica very early on, it's got that great sky view. And you see a bunch of ships going by. One of the ships that flies by and get ready to land is the Firefly from the Serenity from the Fox show. I know, know. isn't that a cool little, and that's funny because this wasn't a Fox show, but that was another show. It It was kind of funny because it was another show that was canceled in one season, just like Battlestar Galactica, the old show. I thought that was kind of cool. But anyway, you meet her, you find out she has terminal cancer. She's the Secretary of Education. She's got to get on a ship. This is before the bombs fall. She's got to get on a ship to go to Galactica to you know, to, to evaluate it and then to do this retirement ceremony because the ship's going to become a museum. And her and Adama, they just get into it right away. It's like, I'm not going to have a network ship on this uh, ship. You know, there's not going to be network computers because that's what caused the Cylon War. That's how they got us, yada, yada, yada. And She's like, yeah, okay, whatever, old man. And um, that's exactly what saves them. That's the only thing that saves them because their computers are, you know, they've got the They've got DOS where everybody's got you know Windows XP or whatever the hell it is, and that's for the death of everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know Rosalind ends up stuck on or eventually finds her way back to Galactica, but because everybody's dying, she's 37th person in line to become the president of the colony. So she becomes the president of these remaining 50,000 people. And so you see an immediate you know conflict set up, uh, between her and Adama once she's back on Galactica in the capacity of being the president, not just the secretary of education. And he's like, nope, we're going back out there. We're going to keep fighting because I'm a warrior guy and that's what we do. And she says both to Bill in that instance and then to, to Saltai earlier on, he says, yeah, I do you know, spoiler alert, guys, the war's over. We've lost and we can't fight. So we got to run, and they're like, we're not going to run because we're warrior guys. And, it, you know, that's the, the journey of, and I say, that's the journey of, of Adama throughout this is that he finally figures out, you know, hey, guess what? You really can't do that. You know, you're really, you, you're not going to, all you're going to do is go out there, fight a war, get your ship blown up, and then they're going to pick off these civilians one by one because none of them, um, none of them can defend themselves. They don't have any weapons. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, 43rd in line to the president. I wrote down in my notes like, yikes. Um, that's cool. So, yeah, uh, you know, and, and through all this, uh, Lee becomes the senior pilot and he ends up back on the ship. And uh, they've got, and somehow, oh, it was the initial, uh, the way we find out about this is that Galactica has a squadron out there. They encounter two Cylon flighters. They flip a sh- uh, switch and all the Vipers go dead except for boomer and Hilo from back in the card game who they get damaged but they have to land on caprica and caprica's being bombed and stuff but there's a bunch of people run through a field towards their ship and one of them is baltar who managed to escape um his you know place being nuked somehow somehow that ended up working out um and he ends up getting back uh, on the shuttle with um other people that that Hilo and Sharon are, are able to rescue, but Hilo stays behind, which gets picked up on, in the show. And there's a whole thing, blah, blah, blah. But uh, this is the first appearance of uh, Baltar having visions of Capricus VI in his head and being being like his little guardian angel. Isn't that so cute?
1: Yeah, well, and it's, again, it was one of those things of it being really, really great because they're setting up Baltar, again, as this fallible character where it, like, I think within the second um, episode, He's sitting there saying, "Oh, like no, obviously you're a hallucination." And she's like, "Am I a hallucination, or did I put a chip in your brain when you weren't looking?" And he was like, ah, uh. "I don't know." <laughs> and oh man, feel, you're right. I watching this the second time through because when I was watching it this first time through, I was just absolutely flabbergasted and just awestruck by how great everything was set up. And then watching it through again, it was a little bittersweet for me because I knew where it was going, and I knew that it was going to yeah. kind of suffer from like the lost. Um, epidemic of everything like having to be weird and you know we're gonna put out questions and you know and everything's gonna never be answered and i'm like you didn't have to go that route um because what made this really successful was the fact that it was this really well lived in f- realistic mm-hmm. quoting um type of hard sci-fi show where everything had consequences and it was constantly the characters dealing with those consequences. So it made sense that Baltar's mental break would be him hallucinating, you know, the, the source of that trauma, you know, and instead of dealing with his own, issues of it being his fault. He's like, no, I'm going to literally, my brain is going to break and I'm going to start hallucinating the person <laughs> who I want yeah, right. to blame for this versus coming no. to terms with my own like part in it. Um, or, you know, or having it be a, that she put a chip in his brain. That would also have been fun. Um,
0: right. Yeah. And you never know if she did. Probably not, probably not, right. but you know, yeah.
1: Right. Well, so, I mean, and then at the good. end of oh, the yeah. of the series, things get weird with like him kind of being like a weird pseudo guardian angel thing. Like literally, right. <laughs> but we're not talking about that. We're talking about the miniseries. So, exactly. you know, that was the part that I, I really, really en- enjoyed again, because they're making these characters so fallible. And I really, I think it's, it's kind of a theme of the miniseries is really how fragile everything is. Like whether it be this person's psyche, whether it be the relationships, whether it be the ship itself and just like within the, you know, turn on a dime, if something doesn't go right, and it's just that small, you know, a screw is loose, and that could literally destroy the entire ship, and we could lose all of humanity.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. There's there's no backup. It's not like, you know, it's not like, and it's funny, Ron Moore was pretty famous about saying that, you know, if you compare this to like star trek voyager which the, the story between him and voyager uh is that when ds9 ended he took a writing job on that show when he was on it and that was going into season six of voyager which we've not gotten to uh in code 47 yet and it was so dramatically different like he had like that only script that he got through was this episode called the barge of the dead where it was about Belana, and she she felt her mother she was having visions of her mother being in danger and then she rode the the barge of the dead you know across to stovacor and was trying to save her and so he was trying to bring some cling on this into voyager and it just was not clicking um because it's trying to cram ds9 into voyager well it's the same thing if you try to cram voyager into this show clearly wouldn't work for the same reason because yeah, everything in this is nitty gritty. The ship is already old and crappy. And we certainly find out by the end of the series that it wasn't built to great specs because it starts to fall apart. Uh, But even in this, you know, the ship is as clean as as it's going to be. But in this, there's a, um, it gets hit by nuclear missiles two or three times. So you see shit blowing up and window smashing. And at one point an office chair rolled through a glass window and I was like, okay, that's a different take. But there's that that incredible sequence where um, they get hit by a nuke and the one flight pod, which little parts that stick out to the side um, where all the fuel is. And they have to stop the leak. Otherwise, if the fire gets to the fuel, the entire ship will blow up. And if they're in the CIC and it's uh it's a uh, Tyrell, who's the deck gang guy and Kelly, who's the, the flight dude. And then it's, and then it's tall or it's a, uh, it's salt because Adama said, you got to take personal command of this and you know, Tyrrell's talking to his piece, like, well, I got 100 people behind, blah, blah, blah. I just need one minute to get them out. And he says, yeah, we don't have a minute. Flip the switch. Hope they're wearing their suits, because if we don't put that flame out, we're all dead. They flip the switch, and then you see five or six people get sucked out into space, but the fire does go out. So it mm-hmm. becomes that, you know, that, in you know, a terrible message about, you know, yeah, being in command means making life or death choices, which... Ty continues to do throughout the series. It happens through the whole new Caprica arc where he says, you know, I've had to send men to die in two wars. It doesn't matter if they're on a parade ground or in the cockpit of a Viper. That's what command is. And they still managed to find a way to squeeze that in. But my point is about the show. that, you know, the, the, it's not like they're going to fix that damage. They don't have anywhere, to, you know, they're not going to go to a right. Star Trek or they don't have replicators that like on Voyager. Voyager almost got blew up every third episode. I mean, you remember the episode with Deadlock with uh, the Deans and the ship gets split in two. And the one that survives is the ship that's just blown to shit. It's like, how is it going to survive? The next week it's totally fine because they have replicators. And if they find a big enough, you know, power source, they can just replicate whatever was broken. And, and they know how to fix it perfectly, mm-hmm. which they shouldn't know how to do. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the nitty gritty realism of this is it really they set the tone. Um, early on in the miniseries, but all right. Anyway, where were we? So we've got everybody back on the ship and Ty's like, uh, we don't have any, we don't have any munitions. We got to go to the last remaining munitions depot. So they do that. They end up at this Ragnar Anchorage and this absolutely super cool aqua blue space stormy thing. Um, oh, it which, was so uh, cool. I know that's why I said, I wrote in my notes, I said, I just can't believe how beautiful this, because this was on the sci-fi channel, which, I, I know it still exists, but because it's not a streaming channel, it doesn't really exist to me. So I don't. Every time Extra brings something on the show, oh, this thing's on Sci-Fi Channel. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to watch it because if it doesn't have a streamer. I'm going to have to go look for it, and I'll never remember that. But um, yeah, if it's not on any of the five streaming channels that we most commonly use anymore, we, we don't see it. Um, but at any rate, I was just amazed by, you know, the effects of the vipers and the ship itself and you know all the, the it just everything just looks so incredibly amazing so anyway they get to this ragnar anchorage because that's where all these munitions warheads small arms blah, blah blah all the stuff that they need to get back in the fight this is before Adama figures out that there's no fight to get back into because we're, we're done um they board it and then we see there's there's this dude there he's an arms dealer you think he's trying to rip the, the place off but he's kind of sickly like he's not feeling well and that's when you find out that Sorry, he's another humanoid Cylon, or a skin job, as they start to call him. And the reason they put that station there with all the munitions was for this exact reason. We can go there, and the Cylons, it makes their brains melt or whatever. So that's great. And they do that, and that's how they find out from this. And then Baltar's back on the ship by now. And they find a Cylon device in the CIC, and he's like, oh, we need a Patsy to take the fall for why I know that this thing is a Cylon device, because the 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 head 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 six is talking to him. Says, "How about Doral? He's the Weasley uh, guy from earlier in the show who was doing the tour." Well, guess what? We he picked it right because he's a Cylon too. They they leave him on the station when they're going to go take off because at least uh, Rosalind is finally able to sit down with the downman and say, "Look, here's the deal. We're not. If you go out there and get blown to shit, we're all dead. So how about we just don't?" And he's like, "Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Let's all figure out a place we're going to jump to. We'll jump." out of our solar system. And what's crazy about when you think about Star Trek, where, you know, I always like to point to the map behind me, Star Trek is like four quadrants and there's a gazillion different solar systems and they go at warp speed and stuff first of all in this they travel at something called faster than light or ftl and i love i just i I have it in my notes all over the place how they make such a big deal out of the fact that they're making a, a faster than light jump for the first time in 20 years and it's oh it's it's risky and what happens if this and that and then they do it in like multiple times in every episode of the show as a matter of fact the first episode of the show is the one they have to jump every 33 minutes, and so they jump like 500 times in the one episode, and it's never a big deal again. But again, it's pilot, so that's how things have to look in a pilot, right? So um, so everybody, you know, all the civilians have leapt to the Ragnar, and then um, Starbuck goes out, she's going to do a recon, and that's when she has the big admission. What's her big admission about Oh, that she's
1: the one who passed uh, Zach, not her dad, because Lee's belief was that their dad, Adama, had pushed Zach through, even though he shouldn't have been a pilot. And Adama's always said, I only, you know, I did what I did for anyone else. And it ended up being Starbuck, who was in a relationship with Zach, who passed him, even though she said that she shouldn't have, because she knew that he was not fit for flight.
0: Exactly, and so Lee's like, "Oh, I don't know how to feel about this because again, Starbuck, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're kind of pals, but there's a uh, there's obviously the burning sexual tension, and which is weird because in the old show, Starbucks was a guy and Apollo was a guy, and they were best buds, but they certainly were not really into each other, at least not that I picked up on. But you know what, it was the seventies, <laughs> what <Yeah>. happened when <laughs> the cameras weren't rolling. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and again trying to keep it within the context of uh, the miniseries it's very fertile ground they have a lot of you know longing glances and stuff but yeah the look that lee gets when she says yeah I'm, i'm i'm the one who put him in that viper where he you know crash into the side of a mountain or something, whatever it was that, that they got him to kill. So he's like, oh, so my dad isn't really the big asshole that I think he is, even though I haven't spoken to him in two years because I hate his gut so much. And you later go on to find that, you know, Adama was married to, you know, his the boy's mother, you know, is, is an alcoholic psychopath. And the boys had a horrible upbringing after he moved away. And so it's just, there's there, there's so much trauma underneath what's going on with the Adama's that we'll get to in the series that, again, you know, for people like you and I who have had difficult relationships with family people and difficult relationships with people mm-hmm. with and friends really, really, really hits home. Um, right. But again, it's just, it's, it's, it's very fertile ground for this mini series, but it just absolutely sucks you in because it gives you enough that you can appreciate how, what, how, you know, what they're giving you. That's so, so great, but not like uh, just like, Oh God, now I have to watch the blah, blah, blah to get any context of what this and that means. And so it's just that absolutely perfect kind of confluence of, of, you know, kind of wetting somebody's appetite for something really great. And mm-hmm. uh, well, I write in my notes all the Lee and uh, more father son stuff time for me to get choked up. Don't mind me. It does. It, touches <laughs> me every time. it absolutely, it absolutely hits mm-hmm. me every time. So, um, but yeah, so now we're, we're at the final battle and yeah, granted it's a, it's a big CGI fest, but it's, it's cool. It does. It, like I said, it just looks so very real to me. It doesn't look like, you know, the, the big blue sky hole that you see in every Marvel movie, you know, cause the, the fleet, moving away from Ragnar and they're still in the storm and it was they use that same shot in in the opening montage for the rest of the series of all of them kind of moving slowly out then they have to stop at the edge because it's great there's one convenient little hole in the storm that you can leave it's like the one way road (laughs) don't crash it's the
1: eye of the storm because they they literally say you know we're going to arrive at the eye
0: Exactly, but yeah, all the i mean, the Cylons are just—they're always one step ahead. So there's like three or four base stars out there, and they start, you know, flinging uh, the little Cylon raiders out at them, and uh, they have a big shoot up. But they—they've they've got a set of coordinates; they're going to jump to outside the red line because again, I started and got sidetracked. But all of everything of humanity—they all live in one solar system. That's a trinary system, so there's three stars, and like <clears throat> there's three or four planets around each star, and that's their entire world. Um, where, you know, leaving their solar system is like, nobody's ever done that before. They have the, they call it the red line, which is the limit of explored space. And now they're just going to go, 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 and try to find another habitable planet, which leads us to, I'll let you, I'll let you wrap up talking about Adama's speech at the end. Cause oh my God,
1: nailed yeah. it. Well, well, first I want to talk about the, um, the, the battles. And I think part yes, of the please. reason why the, the battles feel so much more realistic, even though, like it is a CG fest from two thousand and three, so I've seen plenty of stuff from you know the early offs that looks horrible, but oh, they
0: Especially work within the
1: realms. Yeah, they work within the realm of physics really, really well. Where like there's that great scene, you know, prior when Apollo is with um, the uh, Colonial One, I think is what they're calling it, and he's escorting them in those. Um, the Cylon fighters show up and he does that great thing where he's zooming out and then he flips his ship around and then he right. is still going backwards because that's how space velocity works As he right. just flipped his ship around. He's still got velocity going backwards. Just, so he's yeah. flying backwards and shooting at them. And you right. get to see all these thruster movements. Right. Yeah. Right. Which you see all of these little like thruster movements and everything. So while they're flying the ships, it, they're very much treating it like a 3d space versus it being a plane Which you always find, even in Star Trek and stuff, everybody always meets. And it's like, hello, everybody's always facing the right way. Yeah, and everything is always vertical. There's always an up and down. And it's very obvious with the way that they're flying, there is no up and down. There is no left or right. It is just, you know, wherever you're orienting yourself at the moment. And that's what, again, it kind of reminds me of The the Expanse, which ironically, I think, was also a sci-fi show it
0: was, was yeah it was one yeah and then yeah, it picked up of, on amazon <laughs> and oxford loves that show and he's been we, i watched the first year and it didn't grab me but i know i gotta go back i know i gotta go back yes. someday. i
1: mean granted i'm gonna i'm gonna be a, a hard-ass and say the books are way better um oh god oh yeah the the book. <laughs> <laughs> um but this is not a show about the expanse but one thing i did love about that that i feel like battle Scarred galactica does really really well is that um keeping it more hard sci-fi where they're looking at it going okay how would these ships react like if they're firing weapons in space and you see them firing right. and you see their thrusters are, you know, always moving and always, you know, course correcting for these ships, you know, and you right, see yeah. how. They have the little yeah. like
0: thrusters that you'll see a, a puff of thrust yeah. on the front and the sides and the back. Then they go little twist like, that. Yeah. yeah. And you know how they
1: have it, you know, they have the landing bays that come out and then they have to secure them on Galactica so that they can, right. you know, expand out to make it so that they have, ports for these ships to leave but then when they're doing faster than light travel they have to have everything secured and sealed off so they literally bring these in and seal them within the ship and then no one can get in so i really appreciate those small moments of like them thinking through how it would actually happen in space versus just being like we're gonna have a giant dogfight it's gonna be super cool
0: Right, exactly. Like Star Wars, you know, because there's nothing in Star Wars. Well, you know, you you suspend your disbelief with the fact that they fire, like, physical ammo because you see them loading, you know, bullets into the gun, but they don't have, they do have rockets too, but you end up seeing it later on, but what's what's even cooler is that, again, the Galactica is like an old ship, so it'd be like if you're driving, like, a 1995 Ford Escort versus, like, a 2023 Cadillac CTS, which is, you see, which is the Pegasus that you see in Season Mm 2, which has the same, they have, it's a the ship is almost twice as big, and they have landing base ups what we would consider upside and downside. So they have that much that many more ships. Where the Galactica is, like I said, that's the Ford Escort, you know, that your your dad bought you that one summer that you know because you needed to get back for it to work. But it's just the the bottom of it is rusted out. That's the Galactica. So it's a shitty mm-hmm. ship to start with. But then all of a sudden it's like, well, it doesn't really matter because it's all that we have left. So
1: right, exactly. Uh, oh,
0: Man. Oh man. All right. Final scene. Walk us through it. Yes. It's just, uh, well, it's not the final scene, but it's the, it's the final it's, big.
1: Yeah. It's kind out. of the big reveal. And it's one of those things where, again, they've been leading up because they keep saying that, um, Oh, what are they calling them? The, Oh, they, they keep the gods of the, oh, the Lords of Cobalt, uh, Lords of Cobalt. That's it. Yeah. They keep saying, you know, Lords of Cobalt, hear my prayer. And they keep mentioning the Lords of Cobalt and you're like, okay, Interesting. What is, what is this lore? What am I going to find out about this later? And mm-hmm. then you have this funeral scene where you have you know, a, a priest or a pastor or a oh, you know, sure. religious yeah. figure yeah, of <clears throat> this religion talking about the lords of Kobal, And you, you get the lore of, you know, they were the ones who handed down, you know, to humanity, the 12 colonies, and they're the ones who are protecting them. And, you know, so now they will find them back with the Lords of Kabul. You know, they'll be welcomed back into the grace of their arms or, you know, all that kind right. of religious stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: You know how much I yeah. love organized religion talk. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, you know, and it's one of those things that was never really explicitly said that this was Earth in the future, but it was never not explicitly said that it wasn't Earth in the future. Mm-hmm. So you get this really great reveal because... Adama realizes that everyone's feeling really beaten down, which understandably so there's about 50,000 people left in humanity it was a real down day for everyone. You 50 know, billion not, and
0: we have no, we're on a yeah. ship dying in space. No big deal. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I would, I don't think I would be like, you know what? This was a good day for me. This was, I learned wow. something
0: today. I feel great.
1: Yeah. Or this was a value, valuable lessons learned. No big deal. <laughs> I, I I can't say that I would be feeling really great at that moment. So Adama no. realizes this, and so he decides that he's going to take part of the lore of the Lords of Kolbal and say, hey, do you remember that, that 13th colony that everybody talks about? Do, do you remember that? Because, because actually, I do. And not only do I, I know where it is because it was something that isn't a legend, but that all top Starfleet, or Starfleet, this isn't Starfleet. Colonial. Colonial, <laughs> colonial yes. Starfleet colonial. commanders, Yeah. Colonial commanders yeah, knew yeah, um, where the secret location was because we didn't want Cylons to find out, but I know where it is. And that is Earth. So I'm going to take you to Earth. And you're like, what? This is. Yeah, crazy. this gets everybody to
0: say, oh, cool. We're going to go to Earth now. And it's like, instead of yeah. everybody like committing Harry Carry five minutes later because they don't have any
1: Yeah, because everybody felt know? so yeah. hopeless. And right. I mean, you yeah, find out later so. that that actually. He doesn't know where Earth is because Rosalind calls him out on his bullshit immediately. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, back in also, his quarters. He's
0: like, "Bro, you don't, you don't, you don't know jack yeah. shit." Because the president yeah. didn't know, and he would have told me because uh, you, know, you find out later that they're lovers. But we don't need to get into that. And yeah, there's no, <laughs> there, there's nothing. Now you do. I mean, the, the series, which again, within the context of of this wonderful program, uh, hopefully K&I, if, if it's not K&I, it'll be somebody else are going to go through the entirety of the series. We're going to space it out over a very long time. So obviously, well, before we get to it, you can certainly go find the series, which is on Peacock. Uh, it's also available for purchase and still available for disc. Um, but you find out that there's so much more to this and about the Cylons. That's just the thing. Adama's locking up for the night and someone has left him a note this brings me back to my favorite note about all of the paper in the series yes. first of all they have they have dot matrix printers which is awesome because it really reinforces that galactica is your 1995 ford escort but all of the paper regardless even if it's handwritten note they all have the corners cut off kind of like my bsg dog tags have the corners mm-hmm. cut off because this show uh, at least a portion of it, or at least how I remember reading the story, was made on a reductive budget, thus cutting the corners. That's yes. the deal.
1: Yes, and they did that yeah. as uh, they did that for the miniseries, and then it got renewed as a show.
0: Yeah, and they're and like, then, oh, I guess we better yeah. put some money into it now.
1: No, no. The problem was then they had to cut all of the books and everything for the entire series right. because they had exactly. made that canon. And I I was—I don't know if it was the reader or the producers—they were like, "If we would have known, we would have not have made that little joke because the amount of time that it took to cut everything and make sure everything in, like, on set looked like that was just absolutely so time-consuming."
0: Right. Exactly. But talk about a cool little touch, yeah. And and they really did. Yeah, continuity in the series. And again, we have weird little bits and bobs and this, like you have a lot of mispronunciation of names, like uh, Gaida, who's one of the guy who works in the CIC, is Gaida at certain points. And Michael Hogan, who plays Saltai, is the most Canadian space guy you've ever met. He over-Canadianizes every single solitary word. Great actor, um, and he's a guy who he he had a uh, he had a slip and fall a number of years back, and there there have been kickstarters from Battlestar fans that have been paying his medical bills all these years. So, you know, best to Michael Hogan by all means, because they, I mean, what a what a terrible thing to happen. But. Um, yeah, great show. Yeah, entirely produced in in Vancouver, uh, in in the surrounding areas. You know, the the Hollywood North. So you've got nothing but great Canadian actors uh, that mm-hmm. end up seeing in basically any show on sci-fi and any show on the CW because they all make that stuff up there. But a lot of lot of great familiar faces and, and kind of a lot of people that that it was kind of before they made it. So. Um, yeah, this is great. So the the last bullet is that yeah, Ty has this note, a handwritten note that someone, a Cylon, has left him that says there are twelve models. So we've seen three, and then when we get to the final scene, which I alluded to earlier, that you have Doral, you know, sitting on a sitting on a box at Ragnar Station and locked in, and they open the door and you see that he's turning pale. So yeah, he really is a Cylon. But you know, uh, Baltar got lucky making that one up, but you see, yes. <laughs> uh, you see a bunch of. People walk. You see a bunch of the Cylon robot models walk in, and then you see more of Doral, who is the, the arm sealer guy, uh, and then you see, of course, Caprica, and they start having a conversation. They're like, yeah, they were, they jumped off, and we don't know where they're going. They were going to they were planning a big jump, which again, they're making it sound like planning a big jump is like go into AAA and getting a roadmap where in essence they flip a switch and they jump somewhere after a computer tells them where to go. But you know we're well, no, trying to not, tra- I don't know
1: if it's so much a computer because they don't have the technology for that. It's a it's the guy um, oh, the navigational dude.
0: Yeah.
1: He asks him, you yeah, know, have right. you ever have you ever coordinated a jump this far? And he's like, no, he's like, no one has calculated right. jump past the red line. He goes, right. I know that, but can you do it? Because he has to manually calculate everything and then input it. Oh, into that's the computer.
0: right. They do. And then they, yeah, they have to, they have the, like the nuclear code things where they both have to turn a key. Um, but anyway, so they walk up on Doral and then the camera swings around and it's Sharon. Sharon. the show. And she's a Cylon, which was the I absolutely remember that. I'm just like, no fucking way. Her I mean, she's a sli- she's a sleeper, and you go on to find out in the series that she's a sleeper, that she has a she has a trigger, which we'll talk about in the show, that she goes back and forth from either doing Cylon shit or just thinking that she's Sharon who's a pilot. So oh, what a great and then that was the end of the miniseries. So you're like, this is gonna be a show, right?
1: <laughs> <It> <laughs> I mean they definitely did yeah, a a really good job of leaving just enough to be like, okay, well now we have to know what's going on. We have to get more of this. And again, it was just, I think what made it really, really great is it has this. It like, cause you know, it's future tech. Yeah, obviously they're in space and everything, but it has a very like old world nautical vibe where they've got space charts out and they've got maps that they're overlaying on one another so that they can coordinate, you know, these jumps and these routes and you, and they have phones that all of them are landlines. Like they all are hardwired in and it's it again, it just feels very rough. Like it, it, but not in like an unpolished, like bad sort of way. It just feels very raw. And that's, I think what makes the entire series very, very good and still hold up.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. You could watch this and it, it kind of head and shoulders goes over a lot of stuff that you might see on TV today because things had become so franchisey uh, where this was just trying to be good for the sake of being good. So, mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. All right. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up and we'll give it a rating. We'll give it a one out of one out of 10 skin jobs. One out of 12 <laughs> skin jobs. There um, you go. I will
1: say that I did think it was very ironic that um, number six uh, says to Baltar um, at some point where she's like, I just want you to love me. Um, And uh, I was like,
0: (laughs) you picked Um, the raging
1: narcissist who's completely incapable of love. Like, even if he, even if it wasn't for the fact that you had, you know, made him instrumental in destroying humanity. Yes. And he was able to get past that. that. Yeah. Right. Yeah he's still a raging narcissist. (laughs) There's no way he'd be able to actually love you. Um, Leopard Don't change
0: the spots. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's, I I thought that was just a really great cause it, then it shows the fallibility of Cylons and how with becoming, you know, quote unquote skin jobs, they are becoming like humans where they thought they were superior. They thought they were better because they're machines. And so they are incapable of making, you know, mistakes kind of stuff, but they're becoming more and more fallible.
0: Right. Yeah. Wow. Like I said, for a, uh, essentially a, a first episode of something and then people go on to say, uh, the episode 33, which is first episode of the regular series is so greatly lauded as being like, that's the best first episode of anything I've ever seen. So they're, they're kind of one, two punch. So, um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a, you know, a, probably a 10 out of 12, uh, because yeah, some of the little tweaks were like, I also thought it was incredible. I had a note here that, um, when Ty is talking to Starbuck in the the locker room at the end of the show, she says, well, you know about the card game yesterday. So the entire thing took place in a little over 24 hours. Just kind of shows you that, you know, if you watch something like The Walking Dead or if you're watching The Last of Us, which is my new favorite show, like when shit goes bad and it's apocalypse time, everything falls apart super fast. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. in The Last of Us, he was recalling in the most recent episode that everything went to crap within a weekend. You know, it was... yeah. Shit got bad on Friday, and then by Monday everything was gone. So mm-hmm. yeah, there you go. The, that, you know, when the sidelines do finally come for us, it's gonna be over. Ho- hope you had a great weekend because today's Monday.
1: Yeah. It just shows <laughs> the fragility of our infrastructure.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, how about you? What's your rating?
1: Um, I would definitely say um, you yeah, know, I'm gonna give it twelve out of twelve skinheads or skin. Woo-hoo!
0: That's they, good. They could be skinheads. Skin well, the, you know, the, <laughs> one of the, what, what, one of the silence you meet later on is bald, so that's okay. Yeah. Well, cool. Okay. Well, this. Oh God, this has been great. So, thanks. Thanks for taking this on with me. I'm not going to in k necessarily do the entire series maybe that will be up to her um but my intention is at some juncture uh to get back to you we'll take each uh, we'll take each season and probably split it up into, like we do over on code 47 we'll split yep. it up into segments and space it out a bit so well cool Patreons, thank you for joining us we love bringing you this great content and we couldn't do it without you k where do people find you out there
1: you can find me on uh, twitter at qt geek that's q underscore t geek and on counter social at kq Right.
0: Okay, <laughs> there you go uh, you can find me of course over uh, on uh, Twitter at, as uh, at the C3 go ahead and spell it out my lovely wife April and I run the USS Grand Petoskey that is the West Michigan chapter of the International Star Trek fan club you can find us uh, at a website of that name um, drop us a line if you're a trekker and you would like to meet some other trekkers I can help make that happen so well cool again patreon thanks very much and we will see you next time All keep right. on trucking